Welcome to Between the Times, a podcast of Christ Church Presbyterian in Charleston, South Carolina. My name is uh, John Payne, and I'm sitting here with my two millennial friends, uh, Pastor <laughs> Ross Hodges and Dr. Gabriel Williams. Good to see you guys. Thanks. Good, Good to be here. Good to see you. Yeah, we're here this morning uh, wanting to talk about Ross's uh, latest article uh, for the Gospel Reformation Network entitled, Why Millennials Need the Church, Reclaiming a Love for the Body of Christ. And uh, Ross, this uh, article has gotten some, uh, some good attention uh, on, the, on the internet, and uh, folks seem to be encouraged by uh, the, the themes that you bring out in your article about uh, millennials and their relationship to the church. Uh, what what uh, was going on in your mind when you wrote this? I think you came to me maybe a year ago and said you'd want to do some writing on this subject, and what's been kind of burning in your heart? Yeah, I think the, the impetus behind this goes back to just realizing the, the sort of bad theology that is out there with, um, with millennials by and large about what the church is and, and what it is not. And uh, being a millennial myself and having peers and uh, friends who would fall into the category what what I think is uh, a, a theology that um, doesn't do justice to the church and therefore um, is harmful and harmful for their own lives, uh, we just wanted to think through it some and to uh, maybe to, to put some of those thoughts out there. What What is a millennial? Uh, some some folks maybe who are listening aren't quite sure of what that entails uh, a millennial so give us the the kind of demographic of a millennial and also the the typical characteristics of <laughs> of, of a millennial okay the snowflake generation <laughs> yeah. So, yeah your generation uh, yeah i guess gabe and i are about to throw ourselves under the bus yeah, here <laughs> I think, Gabe, correct me, I think millennials, depending on which sociology field is dating it or which uh, how, how they're dating it, millennials are those born between either 1980 or 82 is the beginning and around 19, is it 90 or year two, is it 2000? Yeah, about 2000. About the year That's 2000. Um, is, so those born between, let's say, 1982 and 1990. Uh, sorry, 2000. And the typical characteristics, um, and this is, you can go on the internet and just Google things like, you know, millennial characteristics, and um, you're going to come up on possibly the positive side with things like independent thinking, um, creative, um, innovative. innovative, resourceful, those sorts of things. Um, on the negative side, you have a lot of people making fun of us for uh, <laughs> being flaky, um, you know, wanting to reject all sort of authority. Yeah. Um, that, that what emotionally are we, weak. It, yeah, those kind of <laughs> and, <laughs> the snowflake generation. Yeah, right? and, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, ent- entitled, <laughs> lazy. Um, you know, everybody deserves a trophy. That yeah. that sort of mentality. The the young man playing video games in his parents' basement uh, until he's forty and decides right. he probably needs to go ahead and do something with his life. Yeah. Um, right. That kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So you open up in your article uh, by quoting. Sam Eaton, who is a millennial blogger, and he cites some uh, what you uh, call alarming statistics from a recent Barna survey, uh, declaring that millennials are over church. They're done with church. Uh, Eaton himself admits, quote, from the depths of my heart, I want to love church. I want to be head over heels for church. I desperately want to feel this way about church, but I don't. Not even a little bit. In fact, like much of my generation, I feel the complete opposite. Now, of course, uh, 
that is very concerning uh, to us. And tell us, where is that coming from and why should we be concerned that there is a, a, a generation of, of young people that are rejecting the church? That's coming from a perspective that the church is optional, that the church is here to serve me and, and it needs to serve me in the way that I feel like I need to be served. That the church fills a certain void in my life that, um, that is according to my particular desires mm-hmm. and my particular felt needs. Tastes. Tastes. Appetites. Exactly. All, all of those things. Um, it's similar to the idea of going to the gym or, um, or, or having a particular coffee shop that, that you like to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's a preferential choice that, that brings certain positive things to your life. And as soon as it doesn't feel like it's fulfilling those desires or those needs, well then you just find something that does. And um, the church is seen to be, I believe by and large, by millennials um, who have grown up in a Christian environment, they're seeing their parents tell them uh, that, well, the church is important and you need to be in the church. That's how they've grown up. But that's never been grounded. And here's part of the problem, and didn't have time to address the article, but a lot of things that millennials are accused of Really, we should be looking back at the, their parents and, and say, well, what was, what was the teaching that was going on here and the way that they're being mm-hmm. raised? I mean, there's, it's not, in one sense, it's not the millennial's fault, the stereotypical millennial's fault, if he's in the basement until he's 35 playing video games. Someone has enabled that. Someone has allowed that. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. I, I heard recently that millennials, I know this is a rabbit trail, but I'm making a point, I promise, um, that there, was, there have been cases where millennials have their parents filling out job applications for them of coming to job interviews, calling the places saying, can my child get in? You know, these are adults who have graduated college. Well, so you take that kind of mentality coming from the parents and, and you apply it to a millennial thinking about church and you have someone, okay, you need to go to church, you need to go to church. Well, why? Well, you just need to. And there's not a strong doctrine of a church in the parents' generation. Well, the millennials get there and they say, well, I don't need this. It's dumb. It's, it's old-fashioned. It's irrelevant. Um, it's a bunch of uh, kind of you know, middle-aged people who are talking about things that just don't really matter to me. Mm. And so it, it seems like, well, the, I, I need spirituality for Christian millennials. I need something that fills this void of community and kind of, um, you know, feeling spiritual. But this isn't doing it. Mm. And so I need something that will. And so then it gets replaced with kind of small groups and podcasts and reading books and, uh, th- and that sort of thing. I think also to kind of add uh, to what you were just saying, we are the older side of the millennial generation. Our parents are baby boomers. Yeah. The younger millennials' parents are probably generation Xers. So this is John's fault. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> what can be said, and I think it's worth saying, is that it wasn't the millennial generation that began the t- deterioration of what we think of as basic biblical ecclesiology. Yeah. That more or less has its origins starting from kind of revolution 60s generation. Whether it's the parents of that generation who were post-World War II and they had their common culture in America and there was some sort of explicit rebellion against it. But for there may be some listening who remembers the Jesus culture of the 60s and 70s where that was seen at the time to be a very large throwing off of the natural way to view church. Because instead of having the institution, we kind of had the origination of the small group, the church within the church concept. 
the millennials seem to have just taken that idea and have just kind of went further with it. And the major difference in my mind between what was started then and what we have now is technology. Mm. What the Jesus culture couldn't do was just to link up online and just connect to a bunch of different people who would have the same spiritual identity, spiritual needs. A millennial today can go on YouTube, can go on any given website. They can extract sermons online. They can go to any number of parishes, ministries. They can kind of put together their own church, put together their own liturgy, and at times put together their own like life group, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. And if they just just taken what was starting and it's just accelerated. And so in one sense, millennials are combining the natural uh, innovativeness that is uh, usually associated with millennial generation, but they've taken it in the direction of moving away from anything institutional. But at the same time, what is also true within statistics is that we have large millennials leaving what we call the traditional Protestant church, and there's also a large number of millennials fling to Roman Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you're a Protestant, you think they probably went for the smells and bells, but there's something missing in, in between the discussion because it's not just the throwing away of the church as a whole, as an institution. It's basically a direct rebellion against the parent religion. Yeah. And that's kind of why you see so many divergent directions from kind of the postmodern emergent direction. You see some going to the Eastern Orthodox direction where it's much more mysterious and sacramental. Yes. yes. And you also have some going to the Catholic direction because they want to have some sort of historical grounding. But again, it's not your parent religion. In terms of the, the online Christianity that is being embraced by, by many young millennial uh, professing believers, why, why can we say with, with confidence that this is Christianity on their terms rather than Christianity on God's terms? Well, when you have Christianity online only, uh, you're missing a couple of really important features of what the church is supposed to be. Um, thinking about the drawbacks of an online relationship with the church, you can think about the drawbacks of an online relationship with anyone in one sense. Mm-hmm. If you're dating someone only online, and I'm not knocking you know, that um, as far as getting to know folks that way, but there's, there's a certain reality of what you do not get as far as face-to-face interaction and, and a, a depth of relationship that is impossible that way. Um, and with an online relationship with the church, it's one way only. Um, You're only receiving and you're uh, only receiving what you want to receive. And so you're missing what the Bible in general calls shepherding. And you don't have a connection to uh, the local leadership. You don't have oversight of your soul from the shepherds, the under shepherds of Christ, uh, 1 Peter 5. Um, and it's really only on your terms, and you, you get to set those terms. You pick and choose what you want to listen to. Exactly. I mean, think of how many times you've heard a sermon that cut you to the heart and brought great conviction to your soul and sent you away recognizing that you needed to change. Well, you know, it'd be so easy for someone to just pick and choose what they want to listen to that made them feel good or that wasn't going to really challenge their sin, you know, that may be besetting in their life. Uh, so yeah, you, you can't have uh, sort of pick and mix Christianity. You have to receive the word 
you know, preached in its, in its entirety and its wholeness and its fullness from the local church, and you're not picking and choosing what you're going to listen to. Yeah, and there's also the church itself. When the church gathers together, that there's we, we have a call to worship for a reason at the local church for a worship service because God's word is calling us as a local body together to worship. Mm-hmm. And there's something special that happens when you're worshiping together with the body of Christ and you're following the liturgy of the church and you're doing it with others. Um, there's something that there's something special that happens there in a, in a special way that God meets with His people in that context. That doesn't happen when you're on your couch in your sweatpants, you know, listening to a sermon. As great yes. as that can be, yes. it's not it's not what God intended for his people in gathering together to worship him. No, he he wants, doesn't he, unmediated fellowship mm-hmm. between his children. Yes. Um, you cannot have the same kind of relationship with fellow believers uh, in a kind of um mediated online you can have fellowship that way that is true but it is not the same kind of fellowship that god would have his children to enjoy namely face to face eye to eye embracing uh greeting each other with a holy kiss as it were um and using the gifts that god has given to us uh, for the sake of the body The, the church is is God's embassy of grace, whereby his people gather in order to receive his his promises in the gospel through word and sacrament. By the way, a word that you hear coming from the mouth of your ministers that you're in the presence of and, and, and sacraments that you feel and taste and see and touch and all of those things are meant to play uh, an essential role in your Christian discipleship. Mm-hmm. You cannot do the Lord's Supper online. Uh, you should never do the Lord's Supper alone by mm-hmm. yourself or just with your family. It's meant to be an ordinance uh, exercise within the context of the local church. But even in addition to that, we need each other and each Amen. other's gifts. Mm-hmm. And it needs to we, we grow and we are sanctified in community. Mm-hmm. That is a major emphasis of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. In 1 Corinthians, in Romans, uh, recently I was reading uh, and studying Romans 12, where it says in 12.3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, now here is the kicker. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Mm-hmm. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Mm-hmm. This, this use, this employment of our spiritual gifts given to us by the Holy Spirit they are meant to be exercised in the context of a covenant community of faith in yes. Jesus Christ. And when we do that, and here's another important emphasis, we are actually a witness to the world. How will they know you? By your love for one another. Yes. You, don't, you don't have that kind of deep, uh, 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 substantial love relationships with those who you are a little bit connected with mm-hmm. or have... You know, coffee with once once a month or something, right. where there's no real accountability within the the, the context of, of of the church and church membership. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the the main points I was trying to bring out in the article was that the 
the New Testament assumes, the Bible assumes that we are part of the church if we're a Christian. It, it's, it's an oxymoron for the, for the New Testament uh, to think of a churchless Christian. And the, the scriptures brings this out, the scripture brings this out very clearly in just the analogies that it uses. The one that Paul uses right here in Romans 12, he uses elsewhere about the body of Christ, that we're all members of the body of Christ and we need each other. Um, in Colossians 2, he speaks of Christ as the head of the church, uh, or the head of the body, uh, through which um, all its members uh, are connected and receive nourishment. And so to, to pull out of the church is to try to separate from the body, which means you'll die. It's the same thing with the vine and the branches in John 15. You know, the branch cannot survive if it's not connected to the vine. Now, some would say, well, I have that, Ross. Um, I have my Christian friends I hang out with. I have a small group Bible study on Thursday nights. Um, I, I go to coffee with Christian friends. I don't need the church. How would you respond to that? Well, I, I would respond to say that, that you're disagreeing with the New Testament in this uh, and, and with the, the teaching of Jesus and the teaching of his apostles because the assumption is that you do need um, those in your life who are more than just casual acquaintances who happen to be Christians. You need mm -hmm. the officers of the church. You, you yeah. need um, the preaching of the word, um, the official preaching of the word. You need official shepherding. Um, you, you were never meant to be able to kind of do it on your own in, on your terms. I think this is a good point to point out an inconsistency with some people's thought. One of the reasons quoted for some millennials of why they have left what we would call the institutional church is that they have felt that it has become kind of like a Christian social club mm. of sorts, where it seems like the institutional church is kind of like the middle age social club where people get together. Well, if you're getting together with your Christian friends, and you're going to get coffee with your Christian friends talking about Christian things, what are you? You're a Christian social club. And that's kind of the uncomfortable yeah. inconsistency that's going on there. Mm -hmm. One of the realities, and this is something that uh, I've learned uh, becoming a Christian because I had the same mentality, was that when you believe that you can kind of get together with your Christians to get fellowship, what you are ultimately trying to say is you're trying to build a local church around yourself. And one of the things that God has done in his grace is that when you join a local church, you don't control who the members of that church is. Mm -hmm. And in essence, God is bringing together members of his body from all over the place. And the truth of the matter is you don't get a lot of friction with Christian friends often. Like There's some, but they're your friends typically. You get along. Yeah. When you go into a, a local body where you're joining the body and other people are joining... There's lots of friction that occurs because you're two different people with very different backgrounds, very different interests. Different levels of sanctification. Different levels of sanctification. You don't see things in the same way. Yes. And you have to learn how to walk with each other. So when you read mm -hmm. in the scripture that they will know you by your love for each other, the world understands social club love. They understand that people who get together to have fun love each other. That makes sense. What is not as observable is how mm. do people who normally do not associate with each other, why do they love each other? It's not because they have natural, you can say, affections for each other. It's because they're united through the same Lord and the same faith and the same baptism. And so mm. to kind of walk away from kind of that visible local church, 
you're walking away from that very pure witness that people who normally never associate with each other are now loving each other, serving each other, and in essence, dying for one another. Mm. And the real kind of, you can say, nuts and bolts of sanctification is that you have to learn how to love people who you normally don't like. Mm-hmm. And yes. that's there's nothing easy about that. Yeah. There's no way you can short circuit that point. Yeah. Uh, there are people in your local church who you don't like, yes. and you probably would never hang out with apart from Christ. The church is not an affinity group. There you go. Amen. Uh, it's not a political party. Yeah. Um, we need to recognize this important point that that Gabe is making here. Um, when we are in a church body there will be those that we wouldn't necessarily choose to be those whom we hang out with. Mm-hmm. But as we get to know them, as we invest in them, by the way, the church can't turn into a bunch of cliques either of affinity groups. That's right. You, yeah. you can't be in a church family and there be 10 little clique affinity groups where mm-hmm. people who have natural uh, affinity for various things in life or backgrounds that they don't just congregate and ignore everybody else. That can happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is an encouragement, I think, to all of us and to all of our listeners to get out of your comfort zone mm-hmm. and go talk to people in your church yeah. that you may not have a whole lot in common with, mm-hmm. but you do have the Lord in common with mm-hmm. them. And mm-hmm. God wants you to use your gifts to encourage that individual and build them up in Christ. Um, regarding the spiritual leaders, uh, this is an important point, isn't it? Because God... Uh, it says in Ephesians 4 that Christ gave gifts to the church and part of those gifts are the spiritual leaders who are called insofar as they preach the gospel and administer the sacraments yes. faithfully and mm-hmm. pray for their flock and shepherd them faithfully. They are called gifts to the church and they are necessary because they equip the saints mm-hmm. uh, for the ministry. And uh, in, in Hebrews chapter 13, we actually have a direct command to believers in Hebrews thirteen seventeen, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as mm-hmm. those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Mm-hmm. All over the New Testament, it is assumed and clearly stated that the church will be the, the flock gathered under the leadership of under-shepherds who serve under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ as the chief shepherd. Yes. Mm-hmm. So for, for those millennials who may be, may be thinking about these things, it must be made clear. Uh, the church is not just the church uh, scattered. The church is also the church gathered mm-hmm. under the leadership and authority of, of spiritual elders. Yeah, I think for, for those who this still kind of gives a little bit of a heartburn too to say that I have to be associated with the institutional church, a couple of points. One, um, not every not every church out there that claims to be a church really deserves your your affection or allegiance. Um, it, there are unfaithful versions of the church, yes. and and those can and should be forsaken. And uh, what does that look like, Ross? What is an unfaithful church or? Or a church that really shouldn't call itself, shouldn't a, call itself church. a church. Uh, that would be, and, and we're harking back here to um, reformational uh, uh, kind of categories, but mm. a, a, a church that is not a, a good church, not a true church, is one that isn't preaching the word faithfully, um, doesn't actually open up the scriptures, explain them faithfully, preach the gospel. Mm. Um, and and I would even add to that with, with the amount of depth necessary for that to actually truly be happening. I mean, it's, mm. it's easy to reference a verse, and then to talk about kind of tell how five to stories. yeah tell five stories mm-hmm. and and give 
kind of just an example of, okay, now here's how to have a good week or here's how to have a better marriage or what. Mm-hmm. That, that's not preaching. Um, so a, a church that really truly preaches the scriptures, um, along with that, a church that truly administers the sacraments faithfully, um, uh, and that's a longer discussion that we have time for today, but uh, that's the second one. And then thirdly, and this one is probably the most uh, obvious uh, that's not happening in a lot of churches, is there's not true shepherding. There's not people who know the members. There's not leadership, pastors and elders who know who their members are, who love them individually um, in their lives. They're, they're, they're walking with them in the Christian life. They're overseeing them uh, in love and counseling and, and just... Um, and church discipline. And church discipline. And cor- there's correction, discipline, there's yes. training, there's mm-hmm. rebuke, yeah. there's exhortation, encouragement, all of those things. Um, so if, if those things aren't happening in a church, we don't have to feel bad for moving on from that church mm-hmm. and finding one where there is the faithful... Uh, there, these things are being done faithfully. So that's the first thing. Secondly, um, even good churches, even true churches, yes, there's still messiness. Yeah. And, and that gives people heartburn because they see, well, there's hypocrisy in the church. And yes, as sad as that is, um, it's true, but it's true because the church is full of sinners. Mm-hmm. But we have to remember the church is the bride of Christ. And he loves her. He gave himself for her. He gave his his life for her. This is Paul in Ephesians, um, that that Christ has laid down his life for this institution. And it is full of people who have warts. And and so the bride is blemished at this point. Mm -hmm. But she is being made holy, and she is being sanctified, and and we are to be a part of that. Amen. Ross, uh, you write in the last paragraph of your article, Jesus himself gave us the church to do something that is essential for the health and well-being of Christians, including millennials. And it is the only place where this is done. We cannot substitute podcasts, even this one, (laughs) small group Bible studies, or personal devotions for the church. Regardless of how I feel or what I perceive my needs to be, the Bible tells me that I need the church. If I'm a Christian, the church is not an option. It's not a preference. It's not even a choice. It's a life-giving, soul-nourishing, indispensable, irreplaceable, and beneficial mandate from our loving Savior. Amen Amen to that. Ross, thank you so much for writing this article. My pleasure. And uh, we're excited to see how the Lord will continue to use it. And uh, we thank you, our listeners, for uh, listening to Between the Times.